Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and thank you that you love us so much and that you care for us, that you sent your son to die. And we ask you to bless this time. We pray for the revival this coming week and ask that you do something special during this time. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Run you to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if you can find a man, if there be any that executes judgment and seeks the truth, and I will pardon it. And though you, they say the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not my eyes of, are not your eyes upon the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than the rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, surely these are the poor. They are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of God. I will get me to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Wherefore, no, so we'll stop there. So here Jeremiah is told, seek out anybody who is righteous. And, you know, as I was reading this, I was thinking how bad our world has gotten and how close to our, this period is our world. He says, run to and fro in the streets. And that is literally run back and forth, go across all the streets and, and zigzag back and forth. And what is he supposed to be looking for? And then he goes and see and know and seek you in the broad places, the plazas, the squares. Go around and see if there's anybody that executes judgment or is acting righteous. And he says, then I will pardon it, the city. Now, and I was thinking about this. How many times throughout the Bible has God said this? Days of Noah. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and he found Noah. You come to Sodom and Gomorrah, and God says, let us go down and see if this city is as wicked as it's been reported. And all through Scripture, we see this whole process of God saying, man is so evil, is there any good in it? And we've seen this over and over. Jerusalem is facing this. They're, they're coming to the conclusion. And God is saying, Jeremiah, there's nobody righteous in this city. And we're not, at least not enough to be, be saved. And I'm wondering how close is our world today to that point? We're getting close. Because every year we get less and less righteousness in this world. Less and less righteousness in our country. And... Jeremiah was told, go, seek out in this whole, this whole city, the whole city of Jerusalem, a couple hundred thousand people in it, and say, is there anybody righteous? And Jerusalem had the temple in it. It had the priest ministering in it. had the king and the princes and all those people, everybody who should have known better there. And he said, go and see if you can find any truth in this town, in this place. And I'm thinking, you know, how, you know, it wasn't so long ago that people were able to make a deal just on a handshake. Yeah. And, it would, and it would hold up. You didn't have to lock it up. And now you have to make an ironclad contract, and even then the lawyers will try to find some way to get out of that contract. 
because there's no truth, no dealing honestly with one another, uh, no trust in one another anymore. And it's almost, and the sad thing is we almost expect it to be that way, which is even worse. And this is what he said in turn, though they say the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. In other words, they're giving their oath, I swear to God, you know, I promise by God. And he says, even, then, even when they do that, they're lying. And you, know, you start thinking about all that's going on in our world and say, how close are we to this, this event in our world? How close are we to God bringing the same type of judgment as he brought upon uh, Jerusalem and Sodom and Gomorrah and Egypt and, and the world before, before, Noah, the, before the deluge? All of these things and all, the, all through history, we've seen this over and over again where nations get so evil that God brings judgment upon them. Even if they're not his, they'll bring judgment. And here, Israel is God's people. And he says, I'm bringing judgment on them because they should know better. So he brought, brought it upon them even faster. And then verse 3 says, O Lord, are not your eyes upon truth? And this is kind of interesting. God is looking for truth. Throughout the scriptures, as it says, his eyes run to and fro. He's looking. He's seeking out righteous. And if you remember when Sodom and Gomorrah was being destroyed, Jesus met with Abraham on the, on the mountainside and Abraham pled with him. You know, if there were 100, if there were 50, if there were 25, and he gets down to 10. And he says, God, if there's only 10 people, righteous people in Sodom, would you destroy it? And God relented. And sometimes people wonder, well, why did Abraham stop there? Well, I'm sure that he stopped because he believed that, it, that Lot and his family was righteous. Because we know that there was Lot, his wife, his two unmarried daughters, and then he had daughters that were married, so that was at least two more. So he figured there's at least eight people in that family, and he figured at least, at least Lot's family is righteous and stopped. You know, and God said, no, um, you know, we're, we're said as long as you can find that many people. And he went through Sodom and Gomorrah and found not even that many righteous. Of all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, four people were taken out of it. And one of them looked back and, because she didn't want to leave all of her stuff. Lot's wife. And she was executed. And the I daughters... Yeah, you know, and we see over and over this idea. And it says then, it goes, you have stricken them or you have chastised them, but they grieve, but they do, they have not grieved. And literally this is very interesting because it is to wreathe in agony. He goes, you have chastened them and they don't even respond at all to the, to the chastisement. Yeah. It goes, they're not even recognizing their chastisement. And I think about our world. How much is God doing in our world to try to get people's attentions? He's bringing judgments. He's bringing famines. He's bringing severe weather. He's bringing earthquakes. And what do people look at? Well, just bad nature right now. It's all man's fault. We're having climate change because man is, you know, it is, it is right. It is man's fault, but not for the reason they think. 
It's not climate change. It's God saying, I'm bringing judgment upon you for your disobedience. And they just write it off. Just write it off. Don't even worry about trying to find out what's going wrong. And it says, they have been consumed, you have consumed them or caused to fail. Have you ever been in a place where God is trying to get your attention and it just seems like everything you do does not work? Causing to fail. And it says, I've caused them to fail and they refuse to receive or take in hand the correction. And again, it's just this picture. God brings things on. He's bringing the catastrophes upon this world and the world doesn't recognize God. He causes what they think is going to work to fail and they don't recognize God. And it says they have made their faces harder than rock. They've made it firm. They have uh, made it rigid. We have the same statement. We, we set our face to do something. All right? I am just ready. And that kind of means I've, I've, grid, I've gritted my teeth and I'm going to make something happen. He says they have done this like stone. They have just decided they are going to do what they're going to do and nothing is going to stop them. They have refused to return or literally to repent. This is where our world is now. Many have refused. I'm not budging. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's a good question. The Hebrews tells us that Lot was righteous. I would not take that Lot was righteous from the story in Genesis. Uh, his wife was caught up in the world because she wanted to turn back. And his daughter seduced him into and they went in such a relationship in the mountains. So how righteous was his family? I don't know. Uh, we don't know how righteous Noah's family was. Because we find two of the sons, uh, one of the uh, sons uh, making fun of his father for getting drunk. You know, so uh, how righteous were they? This is the good news for us. They can be protected by their, you know, by their father and their family's good relationship and being raised right to hopefully repent in the future. And so there's that good news. And this is why when you're a Christian parent, you, you raise your kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that one day, hopefully, that nurture and admonition really takes effect and becomes real in their life. Uh, and it's all by grace anyway, which is a great picture of that. You know, Lot's family was saved because of, his, of God's grace. Noah's family was saved by grace. <laughs> and so all of this comes down to God's grace. Grace, oh, grace has always been there. It, it just got emphasized in the New Testament. But there was grace. God's grace was right at the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned and deserved death, God cruci uh, crucified, killed an animal in sacrifice to, to give them skins, to give them the covering they needed to be in his presence. So grace goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 uh, and mercy. God didn't give them what they deserved and he gave them forgiveness and ability to walk with him again. Now, grace isn't isn't emphasized through the Old Testament like it is in the New Testament, but it's all through the Old Testament. Noah found grace, Adam found grace, Eve found grace, uh, Abraham found grace. I mean, everybody found grace. 
And we see grace over and over and over again, even though it's not used as clearly as it is in the, in the New Testament. Samson definitely found, found grace. David found grace. I mean, it's, you see it everywhere through the, through the scriptures, and it's just wonderful. Uh, and it's not a new concept. And this is very important because a lot of people think, well, the God of the Old Testament is mean and vicious and angry. The God of the New Testament is nothing but love and kindness. Well, we see so much grace and mercy in the Old Testament that God has not changed. And we see, you know, we see some examples of, you know, the angry thing. You know, uh, Ananias and Sapphira were killed in church for lying in church about giving that, you know, giving all their money for that sale of their property. Huh? They would have had grace if they would have changed their heart. But God knew that they were, were trying to not, not play right. And probably God also understood that they probably weren't going to repent. Why did Moses not get to go into the promised land? He never repented of striking the stone. And God knew that he wasn't going to repent and said, you're not going into the promised land. Because of one sin that he would not repent from had huge consequences. And this is one of the things that when we've talked about this, you know, when something's going wrong in our life, our first step is to look and say, God, did I do something that deserves this? And if it does, then we repent, go through the consequences and go and get to the other side and get the blessing. If we don't repent, knowing that we have something to repent of, then we're going to go through consequences for a long time because God's trying to get our attention. And that's hard when, we, when we're sitting there fighting, fighting him. God's just a little, little stronger, a little more persistent, a little more uh, determined than we are. Even the most determined, stubborn person isn't, isn't going to out, outlast God. And, you know, and we need to understand that. And ultimately, if they're too stubborn and too, too outlasting, he'll just take, them, take their life and put them, you know, give them judgment for it. You know, and that's the, that's the problem. And he says, these people have refused to listen to punishment, to accept punishment. And, you know, if you've ever had a hard-willed child in your midst, you understand just this statement. There are some kids that you could beat to death just about, and they're not going to accept the chastisement. You know, and there are some of them that just look at you and say, well, uh, are you done? You know, are you done? And, th and the problem is if they don't accept chastisement, then what ends up happening is that the government ends up chastising them by sending them to prison at some point because of their actions, because their actions are just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until somebody takes care of them. And that somebody might be somebody that's bigger and meaner than they are taking their life. And so we want to understand this, this judgment is not to hurt us, it's to bring us back to God, bring us into repentance. And he says, they have refused. So Jeremiah comes to the conclusion, he says, therefore I said, surely these are the poor, or the, the low ones, in other words, not, not just poor, but the low ones, the, the ones that don't have position. Uh, foolish, uh, ill-bred, uh, those who just haven't learned. All right, he says, well, th these are the low ones that don't know God's way. They, they don't know his judgments. Uh, and so... Like a strange statement. Low ones? 
The poor and foolish. But poor is literally the low. Well, the low. Poor, they are and then foolish is become fools. That, well, we're going to find out they're not. His statement was, I've only gone around, I'm, I've been following the streets. I'm dealing with the street people. I'm dealing with the people that are the merchant, the, the merchant class. I'm dealing with the, the low-level people. They don't know any better. They don't know God's rules. They haven't been educated. They haven't been trained in God's word. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that makes sense. You know, hey, I'm dealing with the, I'm dealing with the poorest of the poor, the, the low people. They, they don't know any better. And we even think that way in ourselves sometimes. You know, well, this is just, that's, that's just somebody who lives on the street. That's somebody who's living by their wits. They don't know any better. Now, we know that they know better, but our mindset is that they don't know better. And this is what he's saying. He goes, they don't, they don't know this. They don't know the Lord, way of the Lord. He says in verse 5, I will get up to the great ones or the distinguished ones <laughs> and... Be, and will speak with them, for they have known the ways of the Lord and his judgments, but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. In other words, they had thrown off all of God's laws and rules, and they should have known better. And this was his hope. I'm going to go up to the ones that know, that have been taught, that are educated, that know better. And this, again, is our day and age. The, the ones that are down low, uneducated, un, un, uncontrolled, are, are a total mess. But we almost expect that. We almost excuse it. And then we get to the educated and find out they're just as bad or worse uh, in many ways. They're distinguished. They're, they're, they're professional, but they're just as bad or, just, uh, or worse than, than the street. And this is what he's saying. I went, I went out to the street. I ran back and forth across the streets and, and everything. And all I found were people who didn't know better. And I'm going, oh, well, this is just the street people. I'm going to get up there where the, where the people have education and, they're, and, they're, and they know how to rule. And he says, what did I find? <laughs> just as bad. Matter of fact, even worse, because he's actually saying, in one side he's saying, they did not know the judgment. The, the street people did not know the rules of God. Then he got up there and he says, these ones know and they have thrown off his rules, which is a sadder state, actually. It's bad enough when you don't know something and are being disobedient, but it's even worse when you know what's right and you've cast it off and broken it. And so he's talking about a pretty bad state for Jerusalem, you know, that even the ones who should know better aren't living the way they're supposed to live. And there's a whole bunch of people that may not, and he's assuming that they don't know any better. And I think they did, but, but he's given them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't know any better, and they're, and they're broken up. But these other guys, they knew better. And I think this is so interesting because this is what we're seeing in our day. There's a group of people who don't seem to know, don't know anything. And it is getting sad. I mean, I don't know how many of you talk to people, but I've met so many people that know nothing about the Bible. Nothing. You ask them about Sodom and Gomorrah and they'll go, what? You ask them about David and Goliath and they'll go, who? Well, you know, Jesus. Well, yeah, that's a cuss word I use all the time. No, no, we're talking about Jesus. Don't know anything about him. Don't know about the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. They, there are so many people who know nothing about Scripture. And it's really sad. There's a generation that knows nothing about God. 
And then even those who should know, and I'm going to use most Christians, aren't obeying and following either. And that's a sad place when we're getting to that bad that even quote-unquote Christians don't follow God's word and obey God's word. And because they should know better and may, and may know better and don't follow him, they have a greater condemnation because they know better. They've heard the Bible. They may not believe it, but they've heard the Bible. They've been taught something in it. And so this is a problem that, it, that is going to happen. And he says, this is how bad things are. And, you know, when I was reading that, I'm thinking, man, our world is so much like this. So much like this. You could think of what's going on in Europe right now that used to be a Christian area, and almost all of them are agnostic or atheist and rejecting God. Most of America is rejecting God. And over and over, all through the world, we're seeing God being rejected by places where he was held in high esteem and now he's being rejected. And it's a very sad state of affairs to be able to see this and go, God, what's happening? How much longer can God go without judging this world? I don't know. It's kind of a scary place. I, back in those days, it was just eight people out of all these people, and God said, Judge, brought judgment down. We have trillions of people in this world how many, what percentage is it that God says, okay, that's it, I'm done. I'm bringing judgment upon this world. And I think it's coming soon. And the church has got to wake up and bring the message out to the people and get a revival. We have to get there where we are starting a revival and moving out to see others saved. Otherwise, the demise is very soon. And in here, it's very interesting. We're going to read at verse 6 here. Wherefore, a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf in the evening shall spoil them, and a leopard shall watch over their cities. Everyone that goes out thence shall be torn into pieces because of their transgressions are many, and their backslidings are, have, are increased. How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me, sworn by them that are no gods, when I had fed them to the full, and they committed, they committed adultery, and assemble themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. They are as fed horses in the morning. Everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not visit for these things, says the Lord, and shall not my soul be avenged on a nation as this? So here's God saying the reward for all of this disobedience. And I think it's very interesting in here. He says, the a lion out of the forest shall slay them and a wolf shall spoil them, and a leopard will watch over, and this means careful watching, looking, looking to seek after them, look after their cities, in other words, to destroy. And everyone that goes out of the city shall be torn in pieces. Now, how would you like to be in such a place where you have to worry about wildlife being so vicious? And this is in a civilized area. So they're really Lion and leopards and, and wolves. and Now, it could also be figurative, but God is saying these wild animals. And there are places where God used wild animals to bring judgment. He used lions a lot. He used lions. Well, lions were very prevalent in there. In our area, it would be things like wolves and javelinos and, and those kind of things, the things that can, can harm and hurt people. Uh, 
So he's saying literally the wildlife would be vicious to them. And we've seen this throughout the scriptures where lions were, were vicious. And, uh, and so he's looking and saying because of their apostasy, their falling away, it was so large, God even turned the animals against them. And I'm thinking, you know, as I look around and I hear all these reports on their TV, bears found in the middle of these cities, uh, you know, wildcats, bobcats, uh, you know, we're hearing more and more of these wild animals in the middle of cities. And, you know, you go, a bear in the middle, you know, I heard a bear reported in, in Phoenix. You know, number one, there's no forest anywhere, and there's a bear in the middle of Phoenix on one day. You know, we have wolves and, and coyotes and everything in the cities. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I read this and I'm going, God, are, are you doing the same thing now today? These animals are getting bold. And it's not going to be long before we start hearing of attacks by these wild animals in the cities. I'm absolutely sure that this is going to be happening. And people will really be making a big deal out of it. And they're never going to connect it to the scriptures because they don't know scripture. They're not going to know that God is saying, okay, you are so evil, I'm sending in even the animals to help bring judgment. You're not paying attention to the weather. You're not paying attention to the storms. You're not paying attention to the 100 tornadoes that were spawned in Texas this last, you know, this last week in one storm. You're not paying attention to the earthquakes that are all over the place. You're not paying attention to the, the, the great hurricanes and, and uh, uh, typhoons. You're not paying attention to all these things. Okay, now we're going to go the next step. We're going to send wild animals in. And you know what? People are not going to pay attention to them. What are they going to be saying? Well, weather's so bad and dry, they've got to come someplace to eat, so now they're coming into the cities. They're not recognizing judgments from God. Same thing. Keep getting bigger and bigger until people respond, which they won't. And this is going to be the problem. And what happened, that's a good point, though. What happened when the, the plagues hit the children uh, of uh, Egypt? Pharaoh made life harder and harder on the children of Israel. So as these plagues increase and increase, I will say that more and more righteous people are going to be made life miserable. Because there's going to be people like me out there that are saying, these are from God. And I'm surprised how many pastors are afraid to say that this is from God, at least publicly. You know, and I've said this in, in, in pastors, they go, oh, no, you can't go there. I'm going, God did it in the past. He's doing it now. And he's promised that he's done, done it in the past. Yeah, because that's why we have all of these bad things like tornadoes and the weather, is, especially in the fires, is from God. All of it so is. Like, you guys need to wake up. All of it is from God. And we need to recognize it. Because if we don't recognize that it's from God, then we blunt the, the uh, judgment that God's bringing on it. And if we as Christians can't see that it is his judgment, then why will the world ever see that it's his judgment? And it's just a matter of it is his judgment. And we need to understand because he said that he's done it in the past. He says that he's going to do it in, the, in Revelation. So if I believe the past and I believe Revelation, why will he not do it now? as our world is getting evil. And we need to be able to understand that. Now, the ultimate goal of all of his judgment is always to bring people to him in repentance. And if they repent, 
then he restores them back to their position. And this is the whole book of Judges. People sin, sin, sin and sin. God sends judgment. And then they repent and call for, call for help. And he sends them a judge to deliver them. And then they get into doing things their own way. And God brings judgment. They repent. And he brings a ju judge. There's still hope for our world if people will repent. And I pray that they will repent. Do I expect it? Well, unfortunately, not a whole lot because, but if I was living in, in Samson's day or Gideon's day, would I have expected a repentance then? Probably not. Everything looks so bad, and we're going, oh, there's no way this nation's ever going to repent. And they, and they repented. So the good news is God can bring repentance if people will repent, and he will bring deliverance, no matter how bad things seem, because God is powerful. And repentance will bring his mercy and then his grace to restore. So we need to pray for repentance, for people to recognize what's going on and see that God is moving. First off, they've got to see God, but they've got to see him moving because this is where he's at. And then um, he says they should be torn to pieces because their transgressions are many and their backslidings are increased. And backsliding is literacy, literally apostasy. They have turned their back on God. Huh? What does that mean? Turning away from God, rejecting everything that you know, apostasy. Uh, it's a real harsh word and it's really strong. Turning their back on God specifically and all of His teachings. So if I'm walking, if I've learned, if I've learned to walk with God, walk with God, and then I turn my back completely on Him and reject everything that I know, that's apostasy. Could it be backsliding? Backsliding doesn't have a strong, uh, strong and you know, backsliding is a kind of just. Yeah. Backsliding is kind of the idea. I'm climbing a hill and I slide backwards. Well, no, I thought backsliding is that you're going back. No, that you know, backsliding is just turning, you know, backsliding has this impression of it's more accidental than planned. Apostasy is a more of a planned turning away. I know better, and I am going to turn away in in spite of. Uh, apostasy is you kind of find yourself there. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of difference. They're both bad. What is it like blasphemy then? Apostasy would cro cross into blasphemy because I'm rejecting God, I'm calling him a liar, basically. So that would be, blasphemy would be a good word for that apostasy. <laughs> so, and he says, your uh, transgressions have increased, your backsliding or apostasy has increased. And these are the people that are supposed to know. He's talking about the people in Jerusalem, God's people, turning their back completely on him and saying, we don't care what God says. We don't care that God says this is wrong. We don't care that God has challenged us to do this and turned away in a really bad way. And then he's asked the question, how shall I pardon you for this? How shall I pardon you? How shall I forgive you for this action? Now, we know that God is gracious. If they would turn and, and re repent, God will. But he's making a point to them. 
you have totally turned your back on me on purpose. How can I just forgive this? And it's kind of a rhetorical question. It says, your children have forsaken me, have abandoned me. So the people have, their children have, because the people have. And, let's see what else, and sworn by other, by no gods. In other words, idols. He says, they are now making their oaths according to idols. And this is very interesting. It goes, they've gone from swearing by God in the first part of the chapter, which was just very, and God says they're false. Now he says, not only that, but you're also swearing by other gods that aren't even gods. Then he says, I have fed them to the full and they have committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's house. And this idea of I, of I have fed them by full, literally the word for full is oath. So in other words, they have been committing. God has given them an oath. Remember, God placed on Israel a statement. You are, chil- you are the children of Abraham. What was their sign? Circumcision. They would be circumcised and they would follow the law. Then they had all their, their ceremonies. Three times a year they were to go to the temple and worship God. They were to commit to the Passover and have that Passover dinner and be reminded of all that God had done. They would have the Feast of Trumpets, uh, and the Feast of Tabernacles, excuse me, where they would be reminded of the 40 years of wilderness wandering where they disobeyed God and were put into the wilderness for 40 years. And every year they had that reminder in the Feast of Tabernacles that where they wandered in the wilderness and God took care of them. But they also understood that they were in that wandering because of their sin. He says, all of these things, and you don't even remember, you have committed adultery. You've gone after other gods. So much full, so, so much so that he says, you've turned away from me completely and committed adultery with these gods. And this is very hard. You've assembled themselves by troops or marauding bands in the harlots' houses. Now, how bad was this, how bad was this time that they were together? They were constantly doing everything they could. Adultery, fornication was rampant in their, in their community at that time. And again, sounds just a little bit like today's world. Fornication and, and, heart and, and adultery are rampant in our world. And that doesn't even counter, counter all the homosexual relationships because there's still fornication. They're still having sex outside of marriage, and, but, it, but it's not with another sex. It's with their own sex, so it's still, but it's still bad for two reasons. It's still fornication. And this is what he's saying about it. You guys are just so bad. You're worshiping other gods. You're committing fornication and adultery. And you're gathering together in the harlot's houses. That is pretty harsh. And yet, is, that's exactly what we're seeing in our world. When I was reading this, all I could think about is how close is America to all of this? Now, luckily, there are still churches out there that are still teaching the gospel message, and that's probably the only thing holding God's full judgment away from this country, is that there are churches preaching the gospel message. The sad thing is they're becoming less and less with each generation. 
it is harder and harder to find a church that preaches the gospel message and preaches the word of God. And there are lots of them out there that don't do it. And I fear for some of these churches, even, even like Southern Baptist, because our seminaries are getting more and more liberal with each year. And it won't be long before Southern Baptist pastors are not preaching the word of God. That is a scary thought because it's been a bastion for, for truth. It's been a bastion for God's word. Not perfectly. Right, and that's the problem that people are afraid to look fanatical and speak up. They're afraid to call sin, sin, for numbers of reasons. Some of them are afraid that they're gonna lose their congregation if they call sin a sin. Or lose their friends. Or lose friends, if you have friends that are gonna have that problem, you don't want those friends anyway, but, but this is the problem that's out there. Many people are afraid that they, that they call things sin that a lot of people are either going to kick them out of the church or leave the church. And for some churches, that's true because they're not preaching the word. They're not even close to preaching the word of God. But if you're that afraid, you're not following your example. Jesus, on more than one occasion, said something that made most of his followers depart. Because he would say something going, that's too hard for us. And then they would leave. And even on one occasion, so many left that Jesus turned to the disciples and said, are you guys going to leave me too? And that's when Peter said, who are we going to follow? You, you know, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. But Jesus constantly was saying things that were hard for people to accept. And so he kept going from thousands of followers down to slightly more than a dozen. Because he would say things that were very hard to take. And I already know, I mean, I've been told by many people if I would just quit calling homosexuality sin, if I would just quit talking about fornication, if I would just quit talking about adultery, they would come back to church. I just have no clue what I'd be talking about at that point because I can't change God's word. It wouldn't stop there. If I changed that, then every other sin that would, would be complained about. So I'd have to be, oh, isn't it a nice day today? Oh, we're we're going to have all, oh, God loves us so much, and he's so kind, and no, I can't preach that message. <laughs> but that's kind of what people want. The little, little homily that doesn't, doesn't challenge them, doesn't threaten them, doesn't call their actions into, into account before God. But if we're preaching God's word, it can't be that way. And this is what I understand. And I also know that at some point, when things change in this country, I will be in trouble for many of the messages that are online. I know it. Because they're going to say, well, you said homosexuality is a sin. Are you going to recant? No. You said this is wrong. Are you going to recant? No. And I will be put into prison for all the hate speech that I speak. Because I'm going to say what God says. And that's unfortunate what happened to many of the prophets. They would speak God's words to people, and they would get thrown into prison or worse executed. And these were the people speaking to Jewish believers, supposedly. So this is a problem, and it has always been a problem to speak God's words to people who aren't ready to hear will cause dissension and cause revolt. Why be a pastor if you're not going to preach God's word? Why be a pastor if all you're trying to do is build up a great big bunch of people that believe in nothing? But he goes on here and he says, verse 8, They are well-fed horses in the morning, everyone neighing after his neighbor's wife. Now, the King James makes this a little clean. 
It is they are well-fed horses in heat. <laughs> okay, uh, how they get morning out of that, I have no idea. But these are these are the horses that are in heat that are desiring to go after, or the stallions going after the the, the females in heat. But this is much stronger language. <laughs> these are these are the stallions wanting to get to the the mares <laughs> in heat. And if you've ever been around animals when they're when there's a male that, and there's a female in heat, it is hard to keep them apart. This is what he's saying. These people are like that. They want what's going on. And they neigh after their neighbor's wife. And, I, and again, I'm thinking, these people that are seeking after what is not theirs. I'm going to take it even further. Not just going after adulterous, but going after what is not theirs. It leads to the desire to steal, to cheat people out of what is theirs. And even, even more, this whole idea of how many people are actively looking to commit adultery, actively looking to try to do these things. And this is a scary thing. There are people that are purposely trying to destroy other people's marriages. There are people purposely trying to go after people of authority, people in positions trying to destroy a good family because they believe there is no such thing as a good family, so they will go after these, these men that are their strong family member men and try to get them in a compromised position so that they can just say, see, I knew, I knew there was no such thing as a good, good family man. I knew there was no such thing as a good pastor. I knew there was no, no such thing as a good, honest, righteous person. And all of this goes down because of that sin that's out there, that people have sin. And people are giving free reign to their sin these days. It's amazing to me, and I'm not even that old, to see how things have slid from being mostly good to totally bad. And I can't even imagine being someone that lives to be 90 or 100 years old and can remember when things were much better, when people didn't purposely go out and sin. And when you did sin, you kept it, kept it hidden and unknown. If you, went out, if you went out to visit a prostitute, you kept it way, way under. You didn't let nobody, you know, even, even not so long ago that if you were into pornography, you, you, you know, really carefully gone to the back alley places where they sold the stuff, and now you can get it everywhere, and you can watch TV and see pornography. You don't even, don't even have to go out. And so all of this is coming down, and people are literally flaunting their sins and saying, you know, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, this is how I'm doing it. And they just take pleasure in their sin. And it's scary that this is what's happening out there in the world right now, that people are taking pleasure. Uh, you know, and it's very funny being funny, sad, how many people get caught because they steal something and then post it on Facebook or other social media bragging about what they did and then wondering how the police catch them. And it's like, well, you... You were flaunting your sin, and now you're surprised that you got caught. And yet, that's exactly what God is predicting here. They flaunt their sins. They go out in the open and do this. And it says in verse 9, Shall I not visit or punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? God is basically saying, I cannot ignore 
flagrant sin against me. And especially in a place like Jerusalem. Jerusalem was his people. They should have known better. America, a Christian nation, should know better. Most of Europe technically were Christian nations for a long time. They were built upon various denominations and churches, and they have rejected God and his word. And God says, I must bring, I must bring judgment on these nations because they know better. Nations in Africa and Asia, they don't know as much about God. God can be more lenient to them because they just have their conscience and they still know better. We, nobody is without guilt. They all know that they are not righteous. They all know that they are not obedient. But those who know God and his rules have a greater responsibility to be obedient. A greater judgment will fall upon them. But when they all stand before God, God's going to say, you sinned and you knew it. Because everybody knows that they're at deep down have done wrong. I either know God's word and know that I haven't done it, or I know that I don't obey my nation's laws. I don't obey my community's laws. I don't even obey my own laws. I make my own rules and don't follow my own rules, which is bad. But we all do that. You know, and this is, you know, we're a little too far now, but you know, everybody makes New Year's resolutions. I will not do such and such, or I will do such and such. And they, what do they say? By, by two weeks into the new year, 80% of the people have broken their New Year's resolutions, and by the by end of February, almost 100% have broken their New Year's resolutions. We can't even keep our own rules, much less God's rules and the nation's rules and, and, and all of that. And God says, you're all guilty. You all need something other, that you cannot provide for yourself, the ability to keep the rules, which are why we need to turn to God and have him be our deliverance. And this is what he's talking about. He says, I must, I shall visit, you know, this is what he's coming down to. And he has, says, I must take an act on this because of how evil it really is. And I wonder how, how so often how most people do not see how sinful they are they, because they don't understand sin. And I've seen more people than, than, than not that will say, well, I'm pretty good. Well, that's because you don't understand sin. You know, have you ever lied? Well, yeah, I've lied. Well, that, it, that alone is enough to keep somebody from, from heaven. Because God says, for the wages of sin, singular, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And people have to start understanding that any sin in God's sight is wicked. Because we like to say, well, this is not that bad. This is really bad. This is really, really bad. If you do that, it's really bad. And this is the sad thing. People will try to categorize things. But God says that all sin in his sight is evil. Even those things that we call okay sins. You know, all I did was lie. All I did was gossip. And God says, you know, what does God say in Proverbs? These things I hate. You know, lying lips. Lips that spread gossip. <laughs> the two things that we, that we think are not that bad are the very two things God puts first on that list. 
you know, and we think of it as like, well, it really wasn't that bad. All I did, all I did was tell a little white lie. All I did was share a little juicy gossip about this person. And, you know, surely God can forgive that. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal from anybody. And God says, I hate those things that you think are little, that you don't think are a big deal. He goes, I hate those things. If we truly understood sin by God's opinion, we would have a totally different view of, of our own life and the other lives, and we'd really start to begin to understand grace and mercy. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, and he really did understand God's grace. He knew that he did not deserve God's forgiveness. He was a drunkard, a slaver, had murdered people, and knew that he did not deserve to be forgiven, and yet God forgave him, and he understood. The problem with most people is that we don't fully understand God's grace because we don't think that we did that much bad. God, I never murdered anybody. I didn't steal from people. You know, I'm not that bad a person. You know, and God says, yes, you are. My grace covers those sins. And, they're just, and the result would, been, would have been without his grace, the same result as the person who murdered. And that's hard for people to understand, especially in the lost world. I've had more people tell me, well, if, if a murderer can go to heaven, I don't want to go to heaven. I'm going, okay, so you'll go to hell and be with the murderers. Your choice, you can go to heaven and be with the saved murderers, or you can go to hell and be with the unrepented murderers. It doesn't matter to me. I would rather be with the saved, repented murderer than I would be unrepented. It is really sad because what are they saying? My sins aren't as bad as theirs, so I don't, de I don't deserve to be with them. They don't understand sin. And the sad thing is so many Christians don't understand sin. Because so many Christians grade sins the same way. You know, now, I'm not saying that the consequences are the same for lying and, and murder. They're very different consequences. But the ultimate consequence when you stand before God is the same. Separation from God. The earthly consequence is very different. I tell a lie, I don't have the same punishment as I do for going out and killing somebody. Very different on the earthly plane on the sins. Anything I do that's fleshly, even if I go out and I feed the, the, the poor or the hungry and clothe the, clothe the naked and I do it with the wrong motive, I'm going to do it so that I get look good, I have just tainted it and turned it into something bad. And then the world will applaud you. You did so wonderful. You did all these great things. And now I'm proud because I, because I get the recognition. And now I'm really bad because I did it for the wrong reason. And I'm getting recognized. And I get proud because of all of my recognition. And I just turned what everybody thinks is good into a sin. And that's the really hard thing that we have to do. Anything that we do in our flesh is going to stink. Anything we let God do through us is going to be greatly rewarded in heaven. And we've got to understand that. And it is hard to understand. It is hard to, to, to think of because we see things so different than God sees them. We see them through our flesh, through our eyes, and we think, well, God, I've done so much better. I'm so much better than all the other people around me. I'm feeding the poor. I'm visiting the, 
the, the sick, I'm going to the prisons and seeing people, I'm taking care of everybody's needs. Oh, what, you want me to know you too, God? Uh, God, look at all the good things I'm doing. And God is saying, no, you've got them all wrong. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing it totally incorrectly. You haven't come to me recognizing your sin so that you can get grace and mercy poured upon you. And this is where he's talking about the grace and mercy of God. God is looking to be able to do grace, but he says, none of you are approaching me correctly to get grace. None of you have repented. Matter of fact, you're even worse than that because you know that you should be repenting. You should be offering your sacrifices. You should be confessing your sins and you won't do it, which makes them worse than what it would have been otherwise. And we don't want to find ourselves in that place. We want to say, God, I repent. I confess my sins and I repent. I am guilty. And again, consequences on earth are totally different for the sin. But before God, all sin is equal. It all separates you from him. Adam and Eve's sin is really simple. They ate a piece of fruit. They ate a piece of fruit that God told them not to eat. And it caused consequences for the whole world ever since. They did that to us. We would have done it to ourselves anyway, even if they hadn't done it, we would have done it to ourselves. In reality, it doesn't sound like it's that serious. What was the big deal, God? They ate a piece of fruit. And that ramification has affected 6,000 years of history. We need to really understand that when we sin, we may not affect the entire world for 6,000 years, but we will affect our life and those that touch our life in the same way. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Lord, teach us to walk in you. Help us to see who we are and help us to reach others and teach and revive and give the gospel out to others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.